our posture before Jesus. Maybe our posture, maybe our position before Jesus needs to change before this need or whatever it is that we're dealing with can fully and finally be dealt with. Anybody ever have or anybody in the room have bad posture, you'd be willing to admit it. It's probably hard for you to raise your hand right now, isn't it? We all kind of have bad posture. And I remember about 20 so years ago, 15, 20 years ago, the years are starting to all blur together now that I'm getting older, but I, I, I got an inside job. I got a desk job. And it seemed like as soon as I got the desk job, first of all, somebody shrunk all my clothes. But then after that, I just started really developing a slouch. Anybody know what I'm talking about that sits in an office chair all day? Start developing that slouch, that hunch. And I can remember my mom was always after me, and even my grandma, remember Mimi used to always be on to us about our posture. Stand up straight. So I'm always on my kids. Stand up straight. Sit up straight. Get your elbow off the table. You know, quit eating like a trucker. You know, just sit, sit up. Have some posture. Have some, some carriage to yourself, right? And, and it's actually amazing. Uh, this is something kind of interesting. Uh, I was reading the other day. Uh, since 2005 or so, it seems like almost uh, there's some studies. And almost about 100% of teens have access to smartphones now. And here's some interesting, uh, an interesting development about people with smartphones over the past like 10, 13 years, however far we are from, from 2005. What they're starting to see is people are actually developing curvatures in their upper spine. Kids and, and young people are starting to turn a little bit into hunchbacks because everybody has a phone and we all have our heads bent down to look at our phone. And your head is heavy. Yeah, turn around and tell somebody close to you, your head's really heavy. I have a very heavy head. I have a very large head, I have been told. I've been told that, yes, several times by people that say they love me. But I have a large head. I think it's just because I need all that room to fit all the brains in there. That's my theory on it. But I know that I have a, in fact, and this is my story, I'm going to stick to this. This is one of the reasons I'm scared to lose too much weight. Because I know that as the rest of my body shrinks, my head's not going to shrink with it. And I'm going to end up looking like a living, standing, walking, talking bobblehead. And I'm just really, I'm worried about that. So I need to kind of maintain this and this. God put me in perfect proportion. I just need to submit to his will. That's what I'm trying to do. And, but, you know, posture's a big deal, right? It's everywhere nowadays. They say that sitting is actually killing us. They say sitting is the new smoking. Have you heard that? Sitting is actually killing people because we sit all day. And so now standing desks are a thing. Do you know that? Dustin, do you have a standing desk? Yeah, Dustin, has, he's a nerd. So standing desks are a thing. Or now they have, or they've had for a while, you know those medicine balls that people sit on instead of desk chairs? You guys seen those? I used to have one of those. When I was like seven, it had a handle on the front and the Incredible Hulk picture. And I used to bounce around. <laughs> Right, I, I just I want to so bad someday. Angie has one in the kindergarten. She's a woman, so I won't do it. But I want so bad just to grab a pair of scissors, walk by one day, and but no, I won't do that. That's just just me. But posture, it can actually affect your health. That's why they're saying sitting is the new smoking. It can affect your long term health. Everybody say long term. Bad pasture, bad pasture, and bad posture will kill you slowly. 
It's gradual. It will hurt you over years. And after years of bad posture, you will end up bent and twisted and and leaning in ways that you were not designed to bend and twist and lean. Our skeleton was designed to support our internal organs, but it was designed for a certain posture. It was designed to function in a certain way. There was purpose to the way that we are framed. Our, our spine is curved just so on purpose. Our neck was only designed and our neck muscles were only designed to hold our head upright. You know, as soon as you lean that thing over, I mean, it's like 20 pounds out there, you know, just five pounds, whatever. I don't know how much your head weighs. My dad used to tell me, hey, son, you want to lose 10 ugly pounds? Always picking on his fat kid, Right? Cut off your head. That was the answer to the joke. Ta-da. You know, so our, our head, though, you know, it's only made to really be supported by our neck at an upright position. That's our shoulders were made to sit level. And any time that you try and support yourself outside of that design, you're going to end up with problems in the long term, right? Things get strained, Muscles get stressed and taxed over what they're supposed to be able to handle. And over time, there are aches and there are pains. There's arthritis and things get inflamed and and we get cranky and we get irritable and we got to get some aspirin just to make, I mean faith pills, just to make it through the day because we have all of this, these aches and pains. But really spiritually, there is, a, there is a parallel. There is a mirror in the spiritual to the physical realm. Spiritually, there is a necessary posture. And if you have the incorrect spiritual posture, over time, it will affect your spiritual health. You will end up trying to support things that God did not design you to support. You will end up trying to live with things in ways that God never intended for you to live with things. And you're wondering why it's hurting and you're wondering why it's troubling you and why it's inflamed. It's because you are living with a spiritually bad posture. I've seen people, you know, I've been in church my whole life, grew up in a pastor's home since I was nine. I have seen people time and time and time again come to Sunday and get their Sunday morning blessing. Can I hear an amen? Uh, The Sunday morning shout, the dancing, the speaking in tongues, the celebration, and then by Sunday night, they are living in hell. And Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday Thursday, Friday, it's just getting worse all throughout the week, and they can't wait till Sunday again. Why? Because they're living with things, trying to support things that God never intended for them to live with and to support. The biggest criticism of people outside the church, they say that the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. First of all, they may be right, but that doesn't excuse their hypocrisy, right? I mean, you don't say, I don't go to the gym because there are a bunch of fat people there. Like, (laughs) that's the reason you go to the gym. You need to join the rest of the fat people and go to the gym. And I'm not going to say amen to that one, but you guys know what I'm talking about. But what is it that they're seeing? If I can use this word in my message today, I think they are seeing Christians living with a bad posture, trying to support things that they're not supposed to be supporting, doing marriage and relationship and finances in ways and with leans and with slouches that God never intended for us to do. And then people get frustrated and they walk away and they think, well, Jesus doesn't work for me. Church doesn't work for me. And the whole thing is that they never found the posture that Jesus intended for us to experience. 
And so they're living with pains that Jesus never designed us to live with. And things get inflamed and become touchy with some people because they're putting pressure on a marriage that a marriage wasn't designed to support. You put expectations on a kid or on a career that your kid or your career can't support. You're trying to fix things with a bigger paycheck. And the problem's not the size of your paycheck. The problem is greed in our hearts, not learning to be generous and content with what God has put into our lives. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Now, in the physical, the fix is subtle. It's slight, right? It's how tell somebody, sit up straight. Stop slouching, right? But fixing your bad posture is tough, isn't it? It's hard to think about, consciously think about your posture for more than about a minute. Oh, yeah, I got bad posture. I'm sitting up straight. And then like 60 seconds later, it's like, how did I get here? You know, it just, it just happened. It's tough. Fix require, fixing your posture requires effort. It doesn't come naturally to us. Fixing our posture is uncomfortable. Who likes trying to, you know, who, who really enjoys good posture? I mean, really, I, I enjoy a lot of things in life, but good posture is not one of them. And no, nobody likes the pain and the trouble and the, the mental exercise and the constant engaging of your abdominal muscles to try and fix your, Nobody likes doing that for a long time. It's uncomfortable. We, we avoid it. We don't like it. We try and get ergonomic chairs so that the chair can fix my posture. Right? We try and move the lumbar support around. Anybody got, anybody got one of those? I'm a little bit taller, so I always wondered why do we put the lumbar way down here? It doesn't work for me. But we all try and lean on other things because we don't want to go through the hassle of fixing our posture. And you may not even realize how much you need good posture until you come to the point in your life where you are suffering from the pain that comes from bad posture. Anybody know what I'm talking about that's over 40 years old? I didn't know that was going to do this to me or else I would have stopped doing it, right? You don't even realize how much you need good posture until you get to the point of debilitating or, or even chronic pain or arthritis pain. It, it puts life on hold. It consumes your attention. You can't stop thinking about it. You can't stop thinking or talking about that pain, you know. There's no rest from the pain, and it all started from a bad posture or a bad form at some earlier job in your life. And the same principle holds true in the spiritual realm. If you don't find the posture that the followers of Jesus were intended to adopt, you're going to be living with things and affected by things and even driven away from Jesus by things just because we never wanted to take the time and go through the hassle and endure the discomfort of correcting our spiritual posture. It's true. There's, there's a story that I wanted to go through today and, and look at today in one of the short biographies of of Jesus' life. And in the new part of your Bible, the New Testament, it's called the, the first four documents there. We call them books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They, those contain the biographies of Jesus' life. And, and Mark was the second one in. And something interesting about the book of Mark is most historians and theologians agree that that is actually the kind of the memoirs, the recollections of Peter. And Peter was dictating his memories of Jesus uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit to Mark. And Mark was actually writing down everything for Peter. But these are Peter's recollections. And Peter was one of the closest three guys to Jesus during his time walking on the earth. And, and Peter saw everything that he did. Peter, you know, was with him when he did everything that he did. And I think it's beautiful. I think it's amazing that 2,000 years later, 
We actually have the memoirs, the, the writings, the biography of Jesus by someone who was there with Jesus, who saw Jesus do everything that he did. I think it's absolutely amazing. But as Peter's kind of, you know, dictating his, you know, uh, accounting, giving his account of, of Jesus's ministry to Mark, he, he's remembering everything that happened and, and all of the instances and all of the stories and all of the, the players and, 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 and the role and the story. He's telling us about the time that Jesus crossed paths with a woman who had a desperate need in her life. And if you've ever, or if you've been around church for any length of time, you probably know about this story. You may have heard it called uh, the, the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And it, as I got to reading this story, and it's a little bit uncomfortable, and we're going to talk about it today, but as I got to reading this story, there was something about it that kind of puzzles me. It, it seems to me to be kind of a side story. It doesn't really seem to be one of the main stories that if you're only getting to write a little bit about what you remember about your time with Jesus, maybe this one doesn't make the cut. This story actually happens on the way to another story where something a lot bigger than this story happens, arguably something a little more important and if we believe what John had to say, that Jesus did a ton of other things that didn't even get written down because there just wasn't the space to write them down, why in the world would this one make the cut? Why does this one get included by Peter? And I think, and this is just me and you can disagree with me, I think it has to do with what happens after the miracle that we're about to read about. See, when we read the New Testament and we come across, you know, stories of Jesus' miracles and, and dealing with people, we're 2,000 years removed from Jesus being on the earth. And so for us as Christians, as believers, there's a lot of pressure on us. Like, we want to prove that Jesus was divine. We want to prove that Jesus was more than just a man, more than just a teacher. So when we look at the stories of the miracles and, and everything that happened, we like to look at these and say, well, there, you know, that proves that Jesus was somebody more than just a man, more than just a good teacher. But his disciples, they didn't really look at his miracles to explain his divinity. What they would do is look at the Old Testament and say, well, 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago, we had some preachers and some writers that told us that our Savior, our Messiah, our God, our, our Jehovah's arm would actually come and do these things. And we see Jesus fulfilling those old prophecies. And the miracles are not necessarily proof that Jesus is divine. The miracles are showing what Jesus came to do. That in the old writings, God had promised that there's going to come a day when I'm going to come to my creation and begin a rescuing work of my creation. And so when they wrote about the life of Jesus, they were writing about the rescuing work being inaugurated by Jesus. That's why Jesus was always talking about the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. The rescuer king has come. And this is what it looks like when you put him in charge. And so they're telling about the promises that God has made, not just to the people of Israel, but by extension to us, the promise that God is going to put everything right. They are there for the launching of the putting right of things. And so when we put on our glasses then and look at the story through that lens or through that filter, this story is not about Jesus pulling off some kind of magic trick. This isn't about Jesus healing someone to prove that he was who he says he was. This is about Jesus giving an instant healing, but then Peter tells us about something that happens after the healing. This is about Jesus working a miracle, but then Peter focusing on something that gets said after the miracle. This is about a Sunday morning blessing, 
but then a posture that someone adopts after their Sunday morning blessing. And it's that change of posture. It's that difference in the way that they approach and they treat Jesus that I think is the reason that this story should have meaning for us today. It's about the fuller work that Jesus wants to happen for every single one of us. Turn around and tell somebody close to you, he wants it for you. And so to set up the story, there was, they had crossed over the lake one night, Jesus and his disciples, and they had come to this small village. And, and in this village, there was a synagogue, which was kind of like the, the main temple was in Jerusalem. And they would build these little kind of outposts of the temple in all these towns to teach people about the Old Testament and the law. And so a leader of that local synagogue was named Jairus, and he had a little girl that was dying. And so when Jesus showed up, Jairus runs up to Jesus and he says, hey, my little girl is dying and I need you to come and touch her. Because if you can touch my little girl, I know that she'll be healed. And so Jesus agrees and, and they start walking. And as they're walking through this little village, wouldn't you know, a crowd hears what's going on and a crowd begins to press around Jesus. And we actually see it in Mark chapter five and verse 24 as Peter is telling Mark the story. He tells him, so Jesus went with him, talking about Jairus, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And they're crowding. I mean, they're bumping into each other. It's close quarters. The streets are really narrow and they're walking along and somebody steps on the back of Jesus' sandal and the whole thing's got to pause while he fixes the flat tire. It's just tight. They're all move together and there's no deodorant and it's the desert and it's hot and it's sticky and it's stinky and as Peter's remembering the story to Mark he says and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years and as Peter's recounting the story I think Peter is almost smiling remembering the moxie of this woman her her spirit and her gumption and and 12 years she had this affliction in her body and, and, you know, we're, we're in church, and I don't want to be indelicate about it, but you can imagine this, this condition that she had. She has been bleeding for 12 long years. And it, this is embarrassing to talk about in 2018. You can imagine the humiliation in her day. Again, not to be indelicate, but there were no hygiene products back then. There was no perfumes or, or liners for clothes. Everything was really primitive and people were just unclean back then to begin with. There wasn't very much hot water or showers or baths or those kinds of things. Like this was just not a comfortable condition to be in. This was a stigma on this lady. This was something she had dealt with and managed and tried her best to hide and, and to keep out of sight or thought from the people that were around her. And then not just physically unclean, but ceremonially unclean. In the law, she couldn't be touched by her husband while this was happening. For 12 years, her marriage is under strain. Her relationships are strained to the very limit of breaking. Even the priests could not touch her without having to take a break from their priestly duties for seven days. There was probably not even touching from a pastor or a spiritual leader to pray for her in her life. Her life is defined by this affliction. Her life is consumed by this affliction Everybody in the village knows about her affliction. And then not just the regular people in the village and not just the regular, unregular people in her village, but she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Can I hear a good, a good amen from somebody in the room? Anybody relate? Doctor, your cure is worse than my disease. Like She had suffered a great deal. Primitive medicine was brutal. 
Oh, you, you, you can't stop bleeding. Well, you probably have too much blood. So what we're going to do is slice you up all over and just kind of drain you a little bit. Think about that. She's, it's brutal, and, and she's traveled all over. Many doctors, maybe a village had one doctor. She's seen many doctors, which means she's traveled all over the land. She has sought out every possible hope, and every possible hope has been exhausted for 12 years. And she had spent all she had. And look at this. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She had sold all the family jewelry. She had sold off the the sheep and the cows and put a mortgage and a second mortgage on the hut and spent what little savings her her husband had. And, And for all of her trouble, she got worse. Her bleeding increased. It was getting harder and harder for her to conceal her problem. It was getting harder and harder for her to be comfortable going out in public, going to family meals, going to family get-togethers. It was getting more and more difficult to live with the suffering of her condition. And now she was at a point in her life where she had no more resources. There, were, there was not going to be any more travel. There were no more new remedies that she would get to try out. But then she heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus. And I can see Peter, you know, recounting this story to Mark. You know, I never did find out where she heard. I never did find out how she heard about Jesus arriving and that we were now on the scene. But I know that she didn't just overhear it because somebody told her about Jesus. It was more than just overhearing that Jesus was there. Somebody had told her there is a healer that has come close to where you live. Somebody says he's even the Messiah, and I don't know what he is. I'm not sure what he can do, but Jesus has come close to where you live. Somebody told her. Somebody filled this hopeless woman with hope again. Someone took a woman who was living in despair for 12 years. She's been dealing with this thing. And somebody tells her, you don't have to travel anywhere. You can meet him right here where you live. I wish the church was preaching with me today. See, for the hearers today, if you're not a listener, if maybe this message isn't for you, this is where you show up in the story You may be saying, well, I'm not desperate for a miracle today. I'm not really hurting today. But if we're not hurting, I guarantee you that everybody in here knows somebody who is hurting. See, this is where the church shows up. This is what the church does. We give hope to the hopeless. We speak grace to those that need amazing grace. We speak faith to the faithless. We speak confidence in a healer and in a savior that people who don't know him don't have without us. We are the testimony of what he has done. We are the testimony of what he can do. We are the testimony of a new future and a new day. And so the church shows up in her story. It's not center stage. It gets five words. Five words and zero names. But it's not about us anyway. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And can I say to this church, this is why you need to stay in the story. This is why you can't afford to unplug from the story. You don't know what's at stake if you don't do what God designed you to do. 
You don't know who will never be saved if you don't share the story that God has given to you. There is design on your life. There is purpose in your pain. Everything you went through before, it's not wasted. It was broken and it was messed up, but Jesus had made something brand new about it so that you could pull it from your past and show somebody in your future, this is what Jesus can do for you. This is why you need to be involved in your small groups. This is why you not just need to be involved with it. You need to bring somebody to your small group. This is, yes, two amens from that. All the rest of y'all, where are you at? All the rest of you, can you, if you didn't sign up, just say an amen. Oh, Jesus, help us. You've got to stay in the story. You don't know what hangs in the balance of being used to tell somebody about your Savior. You don't know who is living in despair that God has placed in your life. This is why you need to be involved in growth track. You're not a bench warmer. You're a heart warmer. Uh. Come on, somebody. You weren't saved to sit on a... You weren't saved to sit on a bench. You were saved to be in. Well, y'all don't seem like you want to preach with me too much, so I'll hold off just a little bit. <laughs> I remember the, the story of the old boy who was, had gone to a famous high school, a nationally ranked high school football team. He had gone to this local high school, and so he told somebody he had gone to high school there and said, oh, you went to that high school. Did you play football with him? Oh, yeah, I played football. Really? What position did you play? He said, tailback. You played tailback for them? He said, yeah, every time I tried to run on the field, the coach would yell, hey, get your tailback over here. You're not a tailback. You're not a tailback. God has saved you on purpose. God has saved you, and he wants to put you in the game. He's designed your life. He's designed your circumstances. You came out of a broken home. God meant you to. You came out of a busted marriage. God meant you to go through that and experience that so that he could change you and make you into a glorious testimony of his power. He did it so that he could do it once, and now he wants to do it again. It may not be for you, but he wants to do it again for somebody else. His grace is still flowing. His mercy is still running over. His love is still undefeated. Get in the game. Get in the game. Stay in the story. You may never get your name mentioned, but God can do you, use you to do amazing things. See, whoever told her about the healer, wasn't the healer. Whoever told her about the solution wasn't required to solve her problem. The healing is not up to you. All you have to do is share hope with someone. Share hope with someone. And because of the love and the compassion of someone that is not even mentioned in the story, when she heard about Jesus, she came to him in that pressed, close crowd was so tightly packed together and she elbowed her way through. Maybe told people who she was so that they would move aside on purpose. She crowded through the crowd and got close to Jesus and touched his cloak. She just touched the hem of his garment. She just touched the edges of his robe. 
and immediately. Do you realize, church family, what is possible if you can get your unsaved loved ones to Jesus? Do you realize what can happen if you can put someone in contact with Jesus? If you can just get them to taste and see that he is good. If you can just get them to try your Jesus, miracles can happen. Suffering can be released. Chains of addiction can be broken. But you got to get them to Jesus. And immediately her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She felt something she'd never felt before. All of the doctors that she had tried and not one of them had ever made her feel like this. All of the home remedies she had tried, all of the medicinal myths that she had tried and spent money on, not one of them had ever given her the sensation that she had when she got close to Jesus and touched him. All of the times and all of the things that she had tried to numb herself to her reality. She felt something she had never felt before. She felt a healing power she had never felt before. She felt a forgiveness. I wish somebody would preach with me this morning. She had never felt before. She, had a, she felt a lifting of the weight of her past that she had never felt before. When she came to an altar, if I can put it in our modern context, when she went into the waters of baptism, if I can talk to you from my own experience, when she touched Jesus there was something that happened in her life that had never been felt by her before. And I know the same is for it's the same for you today. I know that in this room is story after story and testimony after testimony of us who were broken, of us who were lost, of us who were in despair. We had tried a lot of things. We had spent our money on a lot of things. We had broken a lot of things and been pushed away by a lot of things. But when we we finally got to Jesus. Everything was made new. Oh, come on, somebody, and remember your testimony. Come on, somebody, and remember where God found you. Come on, somebody, and remember what he's taught. I've seen you move. I've seen you move the mountains, Jesus. And I believe you can do it again. I've seen you make a way where there was no way. And I believe that you can do it again. Come on and give him a praise in this room this morning. It happens. When people come close to Jesus, there was something about bringing someone who was hopeless into contact with hope himself, with grace himself. This is why we are always going to be a spirit-filled church. This is why we are always going to make room and space for God's spirit to move in each and every single service. Because Jesus can do more in an instant than we could do with many programs and many studies and many words. All it takes is a touch from Jesus. And this service might not be for you. Today might not be for you. But I'm telling you that for someone 
news that Jesus has come close is the best news that they have ever, ever heard. It's the best news. So she sneaked up on Jesus, made her way through the crowd, reached out a hand, and she touched him. Notice that. She touched him. Can I just say that one last thing before I move on? If you're here today and you do have a need, you have to reach out and touch him. He has what you need. He has your answer. He has the miracle. He does. I'm I'm a witness to it. I know he does. But you have to stretch out your hand. You have to make your way through whatever it is that's trying to keep you from him. Stretch out your hand and touch him. And at once. At once. It means that there were two moments that were brought into one moment at once. As soon as she touched him, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he stops the crowd and people bump into him and bump into each other because he stops so suddenly. And Jesus turns and he begins to look at every face that's around him and behind him. And he says, who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? And Peter is telling this to Mark. He's, he's remembering this and having Mark write it down for him. And, and it's almost like Peter was saying, it was strange, Mark. I can't describe it. He felt something. She felt something, yes. But he felt something too. And it happened at once. He even knew that it was his clothes. But he turned around, Mark, and and he looked at every face and and he asked as though he wasn't sure who it was who touched my clothes. Was he not sure or did he really already know? But he was waiting on something from her, just like she had needed to be the one to reach out her hand and touch him. Maybe he needed her to be the one to admit that she had come to him with a need. Because Jesus had that way about him, didn't he? Jesus has a way of not pushing himself on anyone, but simply saying, anyone who wills, you can come to me. But it's left up to us. And Peter's telling the story, and he's thinking, you know, Mark, we actually got a little sarcastic with Jesus. In retrospect, that wasn't very smart. But, you know, we, we told him, Jesus, you see the people crowding against you. How are you going to ask us who touched me? Jesus, we're all touching you. We're all bumping into you. Maybe it was me that touched you. Maybe it was Judas. You know, he's always got his hand in your pocket. You know, I don't know. What do you mean, who touched me? And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Jesus kept looking. Jesus kept looking. Aren't you glad he never stops looking? Aren't you glad he doesn't rush past your moment? Aren't you glad that he doesn't rush past what you need? Aren't you glad that when you're not even sure that you're ready to come to him and be fully known by him and be fully seen by him? Aren't you glad that even though you may be hesitating, that he is full of grace and of mercy and of long-suffering that waits while there is the faintest chance of our remaking? He still looks for us. He still waits for us. 
Jesus kept looking to see who had done it. And as Peter's remembering the story in the hot, stale air, the desert air, and the close and sweaty crowd, the awkward pause, and the impossible question from Jesus, and Peter remembers, and then that woman, I never did catch her name, but then the woman who knew what had happened to her, who knew that now something is different. Something has changed in me. There is something new that has done, been done to me. There is something that is undeniable about my contact with Jesus, and I wouldn't even want to deny it. But then the woman, knowing that something had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. Fell at his feet. Now wait, Peter, the miracle's already done. Why are you writing this part? Because Jesus wanted something more for her. The miracle was never the point. She had come worried that Jesus was going to be mad with her, worried that she was disqualified from taking what she had taken from him, worried that she, because of her impurity, wasn't qualified to touch a holy man. She was no Jairus. She had nothing to offer him in exchange for what he had just done for her, and she was scared out of her mind. She did not think she deserved what she had received from Jesus. And I know what Peter's thinking as he is recounting this story, that she was about to learn something about Jesus that would change her world. She was about to learn who he was and what he was like and just what Jesus thought of her and what the conditions were for coming to this holy man because he wasn't just a holy man. He was her creator. He was her maker. He was her rescuer king who had come in person. He was in the middle of launching the putting right of all things. He was there to heal her and to restore her physically, yes, but he was there to do something much more than that. He was there to fix her spiritual posture, to straighten her up, to give her a new bearing, to give her a new way of carrying herself, to give her a new way of seeing herself. Jesus is not content to heal half of you. Jesus is not content to fix part of you. He has come to make all things new. Whoever is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creature. Behold, look, all things are passed away. Look, all things have been made new. Come on, I wish somebody that's been made new would give God praise in this room. I wish somebody that's been given a new life would give God praise. Oh, come on, clap a little bit longer. Come on, clap a little bit louder. Come on, give him a little bit more praise. Your king has come. The healer is here. The one that gives mercy is in the room. Come on and reach out your hands this morning. Come on and reach out your hearts this morning and touch Jesus as he passes by. Oh, come on, we're staying in this moment. Just come on. Come on, entertain his presence. Come on, love him. He's here. He's here. Come on, I challenge you all over this room. Close your eyes with us. Just see him. See him.
the one that had come to make the great exchange was here. Not too many days after this, this one that had touched her while she was impure and made her pure physically would lay down his purity on a cross and take on himself our impurity. The great exchange. The great exchanger. The rescuer. The king. But she didn't know it until she changed her posture. She didn't know it until she fell at his feet. See, she got her Sunday morning blessing and then she blended back into the crowd. She got a healing. She felt a touch. She felt something different. It says it. But then she backed away from the one that had healed her. She faded back into the crowd so that he couldn't see her. But Jesus wasn't done. But he couldn't do everything that he wanted to do until she changed her posture. Until she changed her position. Until she went from standing on her own two feet to kneeling at his feet. Until she went from standing up under her own power to kneeling before his power. Until she went from suffering under her own sickness to bowing before the presence of the one that had knit her together in her mother's room and could put her right again. Jesus had done part of what he wanted to do, but Peter knew he wasn't done. And for that, she needed to change her posture. So she fell at his feet. She trembled with fear. And then she told Jesus the whole truth. She told him everything. And Peter's remembering with Mark, man, she, she just unloaded. She told Jesus about the doctors. She told Jesus about her strange marriage, strained marriage probably. She told Jesus about her finances. That's how we knew. She told Jesus about her travels. She told Jesus about the, the embarrassment. She told Jesus how long this had been going. She named what she had been suffering from right there in front of Jesus and everybody. But at his feet, in a different posture, everything else melted away. Everything else had faded away because she was in the presence of one that could not only heal her physically, but could heal her on the inside. And Peter had seen everything that Jesus had done. Peter witnessed miracles, if we believe what John said again. He did so many miracles that aren't even recorded. And Peter's remembering everything, and he's trying to decide, what do I want to leave to the next generation? What do I want, to, what do I want, what do I want Mark to write down for me so that it can be passed on? And as Peter's thinking of everything that he could have written about Jesus... Everything that he could have recorded about Jesus. They are on their way from, from where they are to Jairus' house. There's a little girl that's about to die, and Jesus is about to raise her from the dead. I mean, the place is about to go nuts. But before that happened, there was a little woman who came to Jesus, and she was healed by Jesus, but Jesus wasn't done with her story. He wasn't done with who she was. In other words, Jesus, if I can put it this way, Jesus wanted to give her more than a Sunday blessing. And maybe that's been your frustration with Christianity. 
Maybe that's one of the reasons that you kind of, you, you kind of keep falling off and coming back and you, you, maybe you've been away for a while and now you're trying to come back and you're not really sure and you're, you're feeling your way around this thing. You're feeling your way through this thing. What's your status? Are you qualified to come close to Jesus? Are you qualified to even touch him anymore? Are you ever going to be touched like maybe you were touched in your younger days by Jesus? And Jesus doesn't want to just give you another Sunday morning blessing. You had lots of those, and it was never enough. Because after you got your blessing, you faded back to where he couldn't see all of you. You faded back to where he never saw the rest of your pain. You, you faded back and never brought your whole story to him. You never changed your posture. You never fell at his feet. And Peter is pointing to this story to tell us this is what Jesus came to do. This is the whole reason he was here. The raising of the dead, amazing. Feeding 5,000, incredible. The coin tricks he did, amazing. Got everybody looking, you know, pulled it from behind somebody's ear. All that was great. All of that was cool. Should have seen it, should have been there. But let me tell you about this lady. And let me tell you about everything that Jesus wanted to do. And then Peter would remember, I remember what he said to her next. Jesus looked at this woman and he said, daughter. Oh, daughter. She's been alone. She's been pushed to the edges of society. She's been pushed to the fringes of her family. Who knows if she was, uh, you don't know the pain. And maybe you do know the pain, the fear, the wonder. And yet when Jesus looks at her, he has one word that he wants to call her. Daughter. Daughter. Come on, can you give him love this morning? Because he has called you son. He has called you daughter. Daughter. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Wait, Jesus, it was you that healed her, right? Because she touched you and, and then, you know, she was healed. So it was you. That, no, no, no. All of y'all are touching me. Everybody in the room keeps bumping into me. But it didn't happen for anybody else. It happened to the one who had a need and who believed that I could fill that need. And if you're here today, you're close to Jesus and that's Okay. You don't need to feel bad if you're not here needing a miracle. But stay in the story. Stay in the story. Are you staying in the story? Don't unplug. It may not be your miracle, but maybe you can be here worshiping Jesus for what he can do for somebody else. But you won't be healed. You won't be touched. You won't be made different unless you believe because it is your faith that heals you. It's your faith that heals you. But beyond that, Beyond that, beyond that, something more than that, Jesus tells her daughter, your faith has healed you, but go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Be freed from your suffering. Have you ever thought about what suffering means and how suffering works? When we have an affliction, when we have something that's broken in us, that is not really what we suffer. What you suffer are the symptoms of what's broken. See, what she suffered from her affliction was not the affliction. What she suffered was isolation. What she suffered from her affliction was losing all of her money. 
What she suffered from her affliction was pain. What she suffered from her affliction was despair. Her life had shrunk down to this one thing and she couldn't even think beyond it. That's what she suffered. And Jesus was ready to heal her outside and inside so that he could free her from her suffering. And what is it that you're here this morning and maybe you find yourself afflicted with? Is it maybe selfishness? See, that won't be what you suffer. What you will suffer is broken relationships. Maybe it's greed. And what you will suffer is not greed itself. What you will suffer in greed is amazing or huge credit card debt and this mountain of financial worry that you can't get out from. That's what you'll suffer from. Maybe your suffering is, is in lust. Maybe you're addicted to pornography. And if we believe the statistics, there are a lot of people in this room that are addicted to pornography. Pornography will not be what you suffer. What you suffer will be a broken marriage. What you suffer will be a broken romantic life. That's what you'll suffer from lust. What you suffer is never the thing that you're afflicted with. What you suffer is the consequences of your brokenness. But if you can get to the point where you're ready to change your posture, where you're not just looking for a touch and then to fade back into the crowd. If you're looking for something more than a Sunday morning blessing, I have the best news for you. That simply falling at the feet of Jesus, being willing to come forward and be seen by him fully, for him to know your story, your past, and your pain, and the things that are broken in you, and the things that you are suffering from, and even those things that you're embarrassed to share. If you would be willing to lay it all at the feet of Jesus, you can find peace. You can leave this place this morning in peace. You don't have to leave with what you brought here. You don't have to carry home what you carried into this room. You can leave in peace and you can be free from your suffering. But it's only when you lay it at the feet of Jesus. When you surrender your all to the king. That's what it means to call him king. That's what it means to call him Lord, that I lay everything at your feet. All of my brokenness, all of my pain, all of my past, Jesus, I give it all to you. And Jesus performs the great exchange, the great exchange. But we'll never find the freedom to live a new story until we lay our brokenness at his feet. You'll never find the freedom to live a new story until you lay your old one at his feet. Can we all stand this morning? Peter doesn't tell us anything else about this woman. Once he shares, you know, the change in her posture and the way that she came to Jesus, he kind of leaves her to write the rest of her own new story. But I wonder sometimes... If she ever did write her own memoirs, her own autobiography, I wonder the things that would have been in her new story. See, I think her new story would have been a story of joy. She was so happy that that day had happened. She was so full on the inside. She wished almost that it had come 12 years sooner, but maybe 12 years sooner she wasn't ready to fall at his feet. And so even in the timing of her story, we see the hand and the mercy of Jesus. Sometimes we have to get good and miserable before we're ready to change our posture. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're stubborn.
Her new story was free from suffering. Think of all the things that weren't in her new story. I used to have to do this to hide what I was going through, but now I don't do that anymore. I used to have to do this to cope and just to survive and just to get through those days, but since I met Jesus and since I laid it all at his feet, I don't have to do those things. Can you imagine the freedom from her suffering? How it used to consume her thoughts. Every waking moment was filled with what was broken inside of her. But in her new story, in her new story, there was freedom, there was peace. There was peace not just on the inside, but there was peace now with her family. There was peace now with her neighbors. There was peace with those around her. The doctors that had tried and taken her money and only made it work. There was forgiveness now since she had been at the feet of Jesus, more than a blessing, more than a blessing. She found peace. She found freedom when she changed her posture. She didn't just feel different. She was different. Something had happened. She was healed by a touch, but she gained a new story when she laid her old story at his feet. All over this room, would you bow your heads with us? Would you close your eyes this morning? I don't know who you are in the story this morning. I, I don't know if you're just part of the crowd today. I, I don't know. Maybe you're the disciples and you're, you're following Jesus, but just because of you know, the busyness of following Jesus, we're not even looking around for who's trying to get close to him. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here and you need a touch, but you're not really sure you're ready to fall at his feet. I got it. I, I get that. But just know that everything will be put on pause. The procession will not move forward until you are ready to fall at his feet. But if you're here today, maybe today is the new beginning. Maybe today is the day. Maybe today is the day when you do lay it all there. Maybe today is the day when you do come to the front and you just forget who's around you and you just let the music play and you just spill your heart at the feet of Jesus. You lay it all on the altar. You, you kneel at his feet here in the front of this room today. If you're not sure who you are, I'm not sure who you are in the story, but if you know that you're in the story this morning, come on, would you raise your hand? Come on, with every head still bowed and every eye still closed. Come on, if God is dealing with you, would you lift your hand up high? Come on, show him. He's asking right now, who is it that's trying to touch me? Who is it? I see your hands going up all over this room. Come on, God bless you. God bless you. I see your hands all over. You can put your hands down this morning. As they sing this song today, would you be willing to come and lay it at the feet of Jesus? Come on this morning. Would you be willing to come? Could you go and tell somebody? Could you go and grab somebody by the hand this morning? And tell them, come close. Jesus is here. Jesus is here.